What is up, you spiritual badass? And welcome to episode 9 of Have a Blessed Gay, your weekly spiritual comedy podcast. I am your holy host, Tyler Martin. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed, liked, commented, left reviews, and messaged me. It has been so terrific getting to know and connect with you, hearing your stories, your questions, and please just keep them coming. I received a few comments and questions regarding my suggestion to have a date night with yourself from last episode, so I wanted to touch on a couple things real quick. But now, if you didn't listen to episode 8, where I do talk about the concept of dating yourself, definitely check that out. Okay, so first, someone said to me that they are tight on time, and while at work, they have chunks of time where they're just sitting alone, so they use that time to think. Does that count as a date? Well, this is supposed to be a date like you would go on with someone else. So would you take a date to where you work to sit in silence for 45 minutes hoping the phone doesn't ring? The answer better be hell no, of course not. If you dare take me to your work for a date, you are not getting a second one. Remember, a major aspect of this is that you are trying to impress yourself, pamper yourself. This is intentional time allotted just for you. So yeah, you might have the time to think, but you're still at work. We think all day long, but giving special time for ourselves is, well, special. And again, it doesn't have to be a whole night, but just as much time as you can carve out. Okay, and the second thing is, someone asked, when you're on a date, can you talk with yourself in your head or should it be out loud? Which is a great question. Like I touched on in episode one with Rita Brent, saying your thoughts out loud has significant power. So I would say, if you can, then yeah, fucking talk to yourself out loud. It takes courage to say some of our dark thoughts out loud. And when we say them, we release them and we gain power over those thoughts. But if you can't or you just don't feel comfortable yet, write them down. Basically like a journal, but in a dialogue form where you write down your conversation. Similar to saying your thought and hearing it out loud, the process of writing a thought down and then reading it, that takes effort, and we give that thought attention that we might not have otherwise. Okay, that's it for now, but let me know if you have any more questions, and definitely let me know how those dates are going. I am stoked for today's discussion. I sat down with Reverend Skylar Vogel, the Senior Minister of the Fourth Universalist Society in New York City. He holds degrees in religion from Carleton College and Harvard Divinity School. Since joining Fourth Universalist in 2016, their ministry together has been featured in the New York Times, The Nation, NPR, and Democracy Now! And we get into a shit ton of juicy topics like the concept of religion, its role in social justice, and he breaks down what Unitarian Universalism even is, which is pretty dope in my humble opinion. If you're a person who enjoys community in a church-like setting, but you don't necessarily feel connected to a particular religion or faith, this will be right up your alley. And after listening to our discussion, if you are interested, I highly recommend you check it out. But before we jump in, I do want to take just a moment to note that this interview was recorded prior to the vicious murder of George Floyd. 
During our chat, we do talk about racism, white supremacy, and social justice. Reverend Vogel and his church are extremely socially active, but we do not specifically mention George Floyd and the events that have followed simply because those events hadn't happened yet. Although it does bring a new light to that bit of our conversation, and I believe it to be very relevant. But anyway, I just wanted to make that known. So, now, without any further ado, enjoy Two Religious Nerds Yapping Away. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, the leading provider of online counseling. Y'all, the world is crazy and mental health is important. Some might even call it spiritual. I personally use BetterHelp myself and absolutely love what they're doing. BetterHelp makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. So if you're struggling emotionally, battling anxiety, or you can't stop crying after an episode of Queer Eye, BetterHelp can be there for you anytime, anywhere. Go to my personal link at betterhelp.com slash gay to check it out and get what? 10% off. The best part is you don't even have to leave your house. They offer four ways to speak with a licensed counselor, video calls, phone calls, real-time chat, and direct messaging. All counselors have been qualified and certified by their state's professional board. In other words, you're not talking to a lobster dressed in human clothes. They're legit. All you gotta do is go to my link at betterhelp.com slash gay and begin the questionnaire to match you with a therapist who is uniquely qualified to serve your needs. How sexy. It's super duper easy and you're matched within 24 hours or less. BetterHelp has a monthly subscription rather than paying per session, which makes it cheaper. But if finances are still a concern, financial aid is available for those who qualify. Get counseling, improve your life, and help this podcast out in the process by going to betterhelp.com slash gay. Sign up today and get 10% off. That's betterhelp.com slash gay. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm great. I'm glad to be here. Woo! Uh, so let us know. Who are you? What do you do? So uh, uh, I am a Unitarian Universalist minister uh, here in New York City. Uh, I have a, a congregation on the Upper West Side, and it's a, a lovely group of people. And we, uh, we um, do some pretty cool things, I think. Well, we shall see. <laughs> we'll be the judge of that. Uh, so Unitarian Universalism, what the hell is that? Yeah. Uh, so some people think of us as sort of a, a new agey religion from the 60s, but mm-hmm. actually we uh, we go back way before that. Um, we have our roots, at least here in the, in the United States, um, back before the American Revolution. Um, folks like John Adams uh, was Unitarian, Thomas Paine, um, a lot of these like History early, lesson. yeah, American founding fathers uh, were, were Unitarians or Universalists. Um, so they were Christian originally, and then they kind of merged on over the years to, um, be what we are now, which is we're non-credal. So we're, we're, uh, we're pluralistic. We have Christians who are members of our communities. We have atheists, we have folks who are Jewish and Buddhist and, and just kind of folks who want to make the world a better place and be in community. So uh, it's kind of unique. It's a bit of a, uh, unusual, uh, denomination for sure. The first time that I went to um, a Unitarian church, <laughs> very cliche. I sat next to a Buddhist, uh, and which was fun. They were very, very friendly. Uh, but I had a hard time with it. I had a really difficult time, uh, because I came from the church of Christ, a Christian, which, uh, is definitely a church that 
wants to say that you need to believe X, Y, and Z in order to have salvation. And if you don't, then sorry, (laughs) you don't get in. Uh, And to think that everyone thought the same thing is just absurd. Hmm. That everyone has the same relationship with uh, this God, a figure or whatever entity it is, um, that they communicate in the same way that they pray in the same way. Like that's such an ignorant thing to believe in and and think about. And that you can't relate to people who are different is, is so bizarre that you can't enjoy a form of worship with, with people who are, who are worshiping slightly different. Um, but to people who might feel that concern to, um, like I, let's say I am Christian in this moment and I want to go to your church. Um, how, how, how do I worship alongside a Buddhist? Yeah, that's a great question. And one of the things we talk about a lot is like the, a paradigm shift of understanding what religion is. Yeah. Um, it's a different paradigm to, to see a, a worshiping community or a religious community. Uh, be a place where we're not about all believing the same thing, but about finding unity in in our humanity um, and using that unity to uh, make the human experience better for for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for folks to get the paradigm of Unitarian Universalism is not about a particular way of being in the world um, beyond an appreciation that in our diversity we can learn from each other and through our diversity. Um, we can make the world a better place. Um, yeah. And if if those two things are attractive to people and nurture someone's spiritual experience, um, you know, I would think that Unitarian Universalism could be a great place for them. Um, but I also think that, like, uh, it may not be right for everybody. And I would also say that people often come to us worried that they can't keep their own tradition. Uh, yeah. And they certainly can. You know, we have members who are members at, at Fourth Universalist, where I'm at, uh, and... And who are also members of ethical culture or are members of a Buddhist Sangha or, so cool. you know, are part of a, a Jewish synagogue in, uh, in the neighborhood. And for us, you know, whatever they need uh, for their own spiritual lives and to make them feel like they are living a full life that they want to live. If we can be part of that, we are we're, we're proud and, and pleased to be be there. So that's awesome. I remember I just had like a flashback to that first time that I went Uh <laughs> and to Unitarian Church, and they uh, they sang a song and referred to God as female, and I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> like this is a lot for my like fifteen year old brain to understand." I was like, "I can't," um, but not because yeah, it's just it is a weird thing when you are put through kind of brainwashing is what I yeah. honestly think of it. Yeah. Um, and then even if you don't necessarily believe it to be put in a situation where it's so drastically different, it does feel you have muscle memory. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so to be yerked from that is, um, it, it can feel bad or weird, even though it's not bad or weird. How did you get involved in ministry? So I, I, was, I was raised mostly Unitarian Universalist uh, before... From basically like second grade to eighth grade, um, when my parents uh, moved us to that uh, more liberal Presbyterian church down the street. Um, but in college, my head plan had been to be a, a history teacher. Um, I had great history teachers in high school. You have the glasses uh, for it. I have the glasses, you know, I have the jacket. Yeah. I kind of look like. You're a, all prepped for uh, it. Uh, yeah. I'm all repped. I was all ready to go, you know. Uh, um, I had majored in religion because I was interested in it in, in college, along getting my teaching license. Interesting. Um, okay. And I also had worked with the chaplain's office. Um, which was a surprise to me because I had joined it initially 
with the idea that it would complement my um, my religion degree. I just kind of wanted to explore religion and see kind of what people mm-hmm. were doing and really approach it from more of an anthropological, anthropological perspective. Where yeah. I was like, oh, I'm going to be like hanging out with, with people of faith and like learn about that. And, mm-hmm. um, and very quickly I learned that I was actually expected to be like a faith leader uh, as a college student. Yeah. Um, which I was not comfortable with. Uh, yeah. And it scared me because I was somebody who was unclear about what I believed and um, definitely believed that like to be a religious leader or someone of faith, you had to know stuff. You had to be clear, like, this is what I believe. Like, here's what God is. Here's what Jesus was. Here's what faith meant. I didn't know any of that. Yeah. Um, and so I felt, I felt I was scared. Um, but one of the things that the, the chaplain who was sort of our supervisor was so good about she's like look one of the things that you bring are the you bring the you bring your uncertainty and your questions and if you are having those questions chances are a lot of other people are as well um Skylar, that's so good okay go ahead go ahead um and that it was transformative to me and i am so grateful for her for yeah. that uh, because it created space for me it said you are not unworthy of being in this space just because you don't have answers i really like the idea of uh, a questioning minister because I do think it's a harmful idea to think of a minister as a person who has answers mm-hmm. because they're just a person. Yeah. And and so um, and a lot of people do that, treat a minister as almost this like weird pop star up at the pulpit. And I think that's, a, it. I mean, fine if you want to do that, but it is a lot of faith to put in a human. Um, and if that human is giving... Uh, directions on exactly how to live one's life uh, that can be quite harmful and become something different than <laughs> uh, yep. uh, than I think might be intended or thought. Um, so I love that idea. And that, it was transformative to me and I am so grateful for her for yeah. that uh, because it created space for me. It said you are not unworthy of being in this space just because you don't have answers. Um and it was, it was powerful. So I, you know, we'd lead discussions on about progressive Christianity. We would talk about God and we'd talk mm-hmm. about, you know, what it meant to be like a moral student. We'd talk about like, like sexual morality for college students and like, you know, drugs and like what, those are real issues in college campuses. Like, how do yeah. you talk about that from a Christian perspective um, where there aren't easy answers? It can't just be like, don't do any of that stuff because like, that's not helpful. Uh, no. But it gave me the opportunity to to see myself in that role uh, and to bring those questions. So I graduated from college. I had that experience, couldn't find a job teaching and uh, was looking for something, um, but ended up getting, I saw, I was like, but I, I, I just wandered into a UU congregation that was a few blocks from my house in okay. Minneapolis. And uh, you know, it was almost like a spiritual experience where I walked in and unlike and other places and even working for the chapel, I always felt like I had to translate language or I had to, um, I had to force myself to pretend to use language that didn't really mean anything to me. Yeah. Um, I walked into space and it was, I didn't know at the time it was like, it's humanist. It's like a, it's a humanist focused UU congregation. So they are, their, their identity historically has always been humanist. And I, I just felt like I didn't have to pretend anymore. I didn't have to act like I, I knew what this language meant. Uh, I didn't have to translate. I didn't have to pretend like I was on some kind of like journey to some other place that like I wasn't ready yet for, yeah. uh, you know, like, oh, you don't know what God is yet, but you'll get there eventually. So like you're, you're kind of like less than mm-hmm. 
they were just, they were just there and I could be who I was. And like, that was perfect. They were perfect. I was perfect just by being there and for being somebody who thought deeply about things and like wanted to do right. I didn't have to be anything else. And I felt free and I felt welcomed. And it was, it was a beautiful thing because I could just be myself. Um, and so I remembered I, I got a job shortly after teaching, basically running Sunday school programs, our religious education mm-hmm. uh, for a church in Florida, church in Chicago. And then I went to Divinity School because I felt like the next step was to be a minister. Um, I love the the intentional practice of building a community um, around how do, what does it mean to live a meaningful life? What does it mean to build you know, communities that are focused on justice and, and social change um, to, to tend to people in their their deepest moments, whether they're moments of joy and transcendence or moments of grief and heartache, um, to, to steward people along their life journey, uh, you know, to dedicate children, uh, to celebrate a child's coming of age, to marriages and funerals. Like mm-hmm. there's something beautiful in that human work um, that I found really attractive. So, so I went out to seminary uh, and uh, that was that. What are the seven principles of you, you? <laughs> so we have seven principles. Uh, they are not a creed, but they are, they are um, values that we affirm and promote um, and, and guide us. Um, one of the things that we talk about as, as Unitarian Universalists is that you can believe um, almost everything you want so long as it's within the bounds of love and justice. And I think these principles are a way of um, framing that um, so the first principle, um, which is is often the most cited and perhaps the most powerful, is mm-hmm. the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Um, that may seem sound obvious to people. It's like, just be a nice person, be a good person, like treat people with kindness. But we see from the world's religions and from our current national climate that a lot of people in this world really don't believe that. Um, yeah. They don't see people who are undocumented as having inherent worth and dignity. Mm-hmm. They don't see those who are incarcerated as having worth and dignity. Um, they don't see people who are queer as having worth and dignity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that for us is not just a, a throwaway principle. It's, it's deeply important to who we are. Um, the second principle, justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. Um, for me, what this means, justice and equity and compassion, means that we're not just about respecting people and welcoming them in. It's about looking at the systematic uh, injustices um, and oppression that exists in this world. So... It's one thing to be nice to each other. Um, I know a lot of people who are nice. It doesn't mean that they are acting in a good way. Um, mm. You can be nice to somebody and not be good. Um, and you can be good and not nice. Uh, and so I'm to from be, the South. I know uh, what that means. Yeah. Passive aggression. I'm from the Midwest, too. Ooh, you know, yeah. Midwest are nice, but like stab in the back. Oh, you know, yeah, uh, totally. Uh, <laughs> so I think it's super important. So like, you know, I think the, the moral standard we need to get, and I think that our second principle points to is being good is not just being pleasant. It's it's understanding that justice and equity requires challenging ourselves and challenging the way that we understand the world and the system that we may benefit from. Um, so that's, that's systematic oppression. That's collective liberation. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, you know, none of us are f- free until all of us are free. I like how active it is too. Cause I think a lot of fault in some religions is, um, and in government is yes. that we say, Whenever whatever law was written, we say in that year and that time, and it, we can't. We have to have ideas that expand, that grow with time, that grow with us. And so that I love because it's open to interpretation no matter where you are in the yes. world. It's looking, okay, where we are right here, right now, what can we be doing? And I love that. That's right. Yeah. So the third principle uh, is the acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth uh, in our congregations. Love that. Um, which is that 
that welcoming principle that like yeah. you can believe, um, you know, what's true for you and still be part of this, you know, our communities and, and hopefully in the world that you can be an atheist and that's okay. Can I, I'm going to do a side question cause I'm so curious. So yeah. a pet peeve of mine in, uh, churches in general is, uh, they might say they're welcoming. Um, but that actually means tolerant versus acceptance. Um, now I know you, you is actually accepting, which is awesome. Um, but I am curious what you, in you, you mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> think of um, afterlife. Ah, this yeah. is such a sidebar question, but I'm so curious because I, I feel like that's the whole um, uh, in welcoming, like, yeah, come be with us, give give money to us, uh, but we will not be seeing you in the afterlife. <laughs> so, uh, but on earth, yeah, let's party. So I'm just curious, like what you, you do, you have a stance on afterlife? Um, not as a, not as a, a, a larger faith tradition, uh-huh. um, because we don't have a creed and we don't have doctrines. Uh-huh. We, um, we don't take stances on particular theological, um, ideas. Um, uh, so I think we have a lot of different people who believe different things. You know, some people are convinced that there is other people are convinced that there isn't such a thing. And I think you're, you're, what you said before too, is so interesting. This idea of like people say that they're welcoming and they're not really welcoming yeah. or they're like welcoming on their own terms. That is so, that's such a key, it's such a key reality and distinction. And we struggle with that even as you use too. Uh, we've been talking a lot about like how white supremacy is showing up in our congregations and how often we think of white supremacy as, you know, the Nazis or the KKK mm-hmm. or, you know, these, these really bad people, but looking at it with a different lens and looking at it as if, well, who, how, how does, how do patterns of whiteness, cultures of whiteness, uh, ways of being white define our spaces and let people who are maybe of color who, you know, who are there not feel like this is their space. Yeah. Um, and that's true in a lot of different ways. It's true about gender. It's true about you know, sexual orientation. It's true about, you know, a lot of ways that we, we unconsciously carve out spaces for who belongs and who owns the space. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so we've been working really hard in our congregation to basically check our unconscious biases. I was introduced to the um, kind of like revelation uh, a few years ago that uh, in seeing straight rom-coms, mm. I am so used to putting myself in the position of, of the straight couple, but I'm not straight. But I'm so used to just adapting and like, okay, that isn't me, but I can put myself in that place. And then it kind of got me thinking about other colors and Mm -hmm. other shapes and like the idea that we as a society just expect people to see this skinny, white, straight person and whoever they are, try to identify with that. But if you don't see representation, if you don't see yourself like that sends a pretty strong message. Yeah. yeah. And I think then, you know, trying to find ways of bringing folks on the margins to the center and, and centering their perspectives yeah. and their lives is so important. Um, uh, okay. I think we're on the f- fourth principle. Okay. Let's do it. Fourth is uh, my favorite number. What, what is oh, it? I know. Oh, oh yeah. Good, good. Um, a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. This principle is really about, um, about the responsible search, but also the free search for truth and meaning, because the free means that we have to, we're not going to put limits on, what the human understanding of truth is so long as it's bounded by those, those principles of love and justice. Right. So like, I'm not going to tell you, you know, that your religious experience is, is wrong. Um, you know, unless it's harming somebody because like, I can't, I can't 
I don't know what your experience is. I don't yeah. know your life. Um, you know, I, I'm never, I'm not somebody who's ever had a profound spiritual experience where I feel like God has spoken to me, but I know people who I love and deeply respect who have, and like, who am I to say, well, that's just stupid. You know, yeah. uh, that's yeah, not like, great. No. Uh, and I would hope that they would also be like, well, I understand that you haven't had that experience. Mm-hmm. So like, how, how can I blame you for not being a hundred percent sure that God, God doesn't love him? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I'm in the wrong profession, obviously. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the stepchild. Please love me. Please love me. <laughs> Talk to me. Uh, <laughs> I, when I was a kid, I was so jealous. Like, how do they know? How do they? Right. So, so, so certain. Going back to the idea of truth. And I think if you can't question, then something is probably wrong with that truth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the level, like the level of defensiveness that we see people having in our national dialogue about what is true, or the reactiveness of, you know, don't criticize me, is is really, uh, it's it's a symptom of a larger brittleness that, um, and I say that not trying to say that people should be harmful in their language. I think that's like a different thing, right? Of like, uh, I can say whatever I want, and like, you know freedom of speech <laughs> while me. like, yeah. while <laughs> yeah. like, you know, making a lot of people feel deeply unsafe, right? Like that is, that is, I think, and that there's a tension, right? In, in the universal man, I think in liberal circles in general, like how do you protect the freedom of expression while also honoring that, like with freedom comes, you know, responsibility. Uh, oh my gosh. I'm going to get so heated in this conversation. Okay. <laughs> so you can question something and not hurt someone yeah. <laughs> yeah. or not take someone's rights away as yeah. long as they are not hurting anyone. Then I think like if the chain it goes and everyone is doing something that isn't hurtful, then like have at it. Why not? No, I think that I think it's super important to to use language in a way that doesn't doesn't question people's fundamental rights. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, we see we see in the world, um, uh, you know, people trying to deny like wedding cakes. Right. To LGBTQ mm-hmm. couples. Right. Like that. For me, uh, and I'm sure there are Unitarian Universalists and other, you know, lovely humans who disagree with that. But like, I, I don't, I don't believe that is an, that's not an appropriate freedom of expression. Um, because, yes. because to, it's a slippery slope of denying rights, right? If you have the right to, to deny someone who is queer a wedding cake, it's not too far to denying them medical treatment um, mm-hmm. beca- or, you know, a pharmaceutical drug mm-hmm. or something like that. So so I think I think there certainly are bonds, and that's why you know it's uh, you know the 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 responsible is in this principle is so important that you have to. It's not just that you get the to say and do whatever you want. It's that you have to be bound by love and justice. And if you're not, your language, your actions um, uh, are problematic uh, yeah. and deserve to be challenged because fundamentally we're in it together and we have to be kind to each other. We have to respect each other. And if your, if your freedom infringes upon someone's right to exist, uh, like that's a problem. Something's yeah. up. Yeah. 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 Like it's like a bully. It's like a bully coming in and being like, like I have this thing and like you have to live by it. And it's like, but it's not my thing. Why mm-hmm. would you think that like your reality have to, has to transcend and dominate mine? Um, and that's where privilege comes in and that's where Christian hegemony and white supremacy mm-hmm. and, you know, the patriarchy and all these other things come in because there's people are so used to them being the norm and, and they have been the norm because that's where power has been. Unfortunately. Yes. Um, and so part of our work, I think as, as a congregation, as a faith tradition and just as decent people 
is to really challenge those to recognize that that those are problematic histories that we need to confront. Yeah. Yeah, just even in the like Me Too movement, like you just because it was all right to slap someone's butt Ugh. at work 20 years ago doesn't mean that it was ever actually all right to slap someone's butt yeah. at work. <laughs> like it, that was that's not actually a thing. So, uh yeah, and just because you can't now doesn't mean you are uh, losing your rights, uh, just someone else is gaining theirs. And so that's important to acknowledge. Okay, we have so much more. So let's yes. just continue okay. through the principles. Fifth <laughs> I'm, principle. like, I'm like, oh my God, everyone, I'm like, yes, yes, good. Okay. It's good. Um, fifth principle, the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and in society at large. So okay. um, this is actually super uh, relevant to us right now. Um, obviously, I said earlier that a lot of our founding fathers were Unitarians mm -hmm. uh, from, you know, Ben Franklin to the, the Puritans who came over, who eventually became Unitarians, who broke out from the Church of England and decided their congregations needed to be run democratically. They didn't want a bishop. Mm -hmm. They didn't want someone telling them what to do. They said, we believe that we are capable of making our own decisions, whether that's choosing a minister, whether that's setting your congregational budget, whether that's what kind of stance you want to take on a public issue. Yeah. Um, that democratic process has been in our, in our denominational DNA for a very long time. Uh, more recently, it has led us to be engaged deeply in the work of, of protecting our democracy in this moment. Um, you know, we are a nonpartisan organization. We don't endorse candidates. Uh, we can't, uh, you know, to keep our tax exempt status, which is obviously important to us. Mm -hmm. But where we see our de democracy really struggling is we see, we see rampant attempts to voters at voter suppression. We see blatant gerrymandering to disenfranchise, uh, you know, people of color and yeah. those on the margins. Um, you know, we see the census right now being defunded and designed in such a way that will undercount the people who need the most funding and the most representation in Congress. Uh, it's really appalling. Um, and whether you are a Republican or a Democrat or something else, uh, if you believe in the Democratic experience and, and what this country was founded on, like, you should be deeply disturbed by these... Uh, these trends that we're seeing. So for us, because we're not partisan and because we see this 2020 election as being so important, mm -hmm. we're doing a tremendous amount of work around voter suppression, voter registration, get out the vote, census education. That's incredible. Um, yeah. Because, because we see this as not only, not only just a value and a principle that we stand behind, but we see it as, as essential to this country, keeping its soul. Mm -hmm. um, if people can't vote, they can't be represented. What kind of country is this anymore? Uh, I come from Wisconsin where, um, up until a couple of years ago, it was a single party state. Uh, both the, 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 the legislative bodies, both of them every year, every year they would have, uh, they'd have, uh, when they had their votes, a majority of, of the people voting would vote for democratic candidates. Mm -hmm. Um, and every year the Republicans would win both those houses by vast margins because it isn't fair. It's, yeah. it's a rigged system. Mm -hmm. And so you would have a house, you'd have one of the houses that was 60, 30 representation, Republicans, 60 Democrats, 30. And yet Democrat, more Democrats voted for democratic candidates in the state for that election. It was so disproportional. It's so rigged. Mm -hmm. It's so anti-democratic. Yep. It's, it's, it's no worse. It's no better than, than some of these, uh, you know, dictatorships we see and, and malign in the national news and pretend like we're different from, yet somehow it's okay uh, yeah. and we don't talk about it. And so for this principle, we're very clear that like that is wrong. And it's not just wrong 
politically, it's wrong morally and mm-hmm. religiously. Um, because what we're really doing then, we're saying that people don't matter. And then we're saying that some people matter more than others. And that's true with the Electoral College. It's true with the Senate itself. Electoral College is so stupid. We should not have that anymore. But yes, yeah. yeah. So the sixth principle, um, goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. World um, peace. World peace. Yep. Uh, and the last principle then is uh, the respect for the interdependent web of all existence in which we are part. And that's that's about the environment. It's about the climate change it's about our the world that we live in um, being connected and our spiritual uh, calling to 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 steward our resources and and see the the value in life that is not human. I think a lot of people who might not because part of the podcast is um, people who might not be able to claim a faith label or don't know what they want to claim. And so um, for anyone, who feels that way. Um, I think this is such a great message of um, go sit next to a Buddhist because you might learn something and you can keep, uh, like I love to go to um, rock concert churches. I love them. Yeah. Love them so much. Yeah. Most of them are not LGBTQ accepting, but that's <laughs> fine. And um, except it's not fine, but um, <laughs> uh but I love that. I love just like going out and like jamming my little heart out. But you can keep elements of whatever faith or religious label and um, learn from others and make your own path, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Uh, for people who want to know more about Unitarianism and universalism, um, where can they search? Where where would you tell them to look? Well, you can always check out our website yes, uh, at uh, the 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 number four uh thu.org so it's fourthu.org plug it plug it and uh, we're pretty great you can see my sermons on there you can see just kind of what we're about um, see you know what we look like who we are but you can also just google Unitarian Universalism Um, if you're in New York City uh, come by our congregation any Sunday at 11 Um, we'll be there and delighted to see you Um, we're really a truly multi-generational congregation where you know if you're if you're younger if you're older if you have children uh, if you're uh, somewhere in between, uh, you're going to find folks who are, um, you know, who are going to be uh, similar life stages to you. And that's exciting, too. Ah, yeah. so good. Any parting words, any words of wisdom, any like, how do you end your sermons each week? Do you have a, do you have a, this is my goodbye? <laughs> I don't, you know, I tend to say, may it be so, or just amen, which uh, is simple, but, um, oh, go in faith, go in hope and go in love. Uh, and I think if we can embrace those few things, um, you know, if we can love each other, if we can stay hopeful in this time, if we can keep joy and courage, uh, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be okay. So. We're going to be okay. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Tyler. Pleasure. Wow. Right. I legit learned so much during our talk. He is such a sweet, giving person, and I was just so grateful for his time. I love trying churches or new spiritual activities, and I dare you to try some new ones yourself. If you've never been to a Unitarian Universalist church, look into it. Sing a song about a genderless God. Not that you even necessarily will want to go there on and on, but it is very fascinating and just uplifting to see so many varied walks of faith coming together for a common good. And if you do, uh, you better tell me about your experience, okay? Now, let's break down this conversation. I'm going to give you my main takeaways. Number one. 
Unitarian Universalism has no creed and is categorized by a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Number two, you can and will grow in your own faith and spirituality and enhance them by experiencing other walks of life. Number three, if you aren't allowed to question a faith label or a person behind that faith label, there is probably something sketchy afoot. Again, just make sure that you aren't in a cult. Number four, ministers are humans too. Seek authentic ministers who are willing to admit that they do not know everything. No one has all the answers. And if they say they do, uh, you better fucking run. Number five, just because other people gain rights does not mean that you lose yours. You're just losing your superiority. So take that shit to the bank, cash it out, and throw it to the wind. Okay? Number six, representation. I hate that I feel that I should even say this, but everyone deserves to see themselves in leadership roles. Yeah, no shit. Number seven, voting is important. Your voice matters, so show up and vote. I have posted links in the show notes for Skyler, his church, and the Unitarian Universalism main website. Even during these COVID times, Fourth Universalist is active and doing a lot online, so check them out. If you haven't already, please subscribe or follow this podcast. It is totally free and it keeps you up to date when new episodes drop. Also, I would really appreciate if you would leave a review. And definitely keep in touch. Reach out to me. I would love to hear from you. You can reach me through my email in the show notes or via social media at Have a Blessed Gay on all the platforms. And as a reminder, just because this content is so freaking heavy at times, you might not be able to laugh it off. And if you are struggling and having a hard time, I will always post helplines in the show notes. So please check them out if you need to. But just remember this. You are special, you are purposeful, and you are fucking beautiful. Have a blessed day, y'all.